Hello, and welcome to a very special episode of Those Good Old Fashioned Values. Uh, yeah, I know that we've been having a bit of uh, two-person episodes for a while, just for the past week. We've been kind of trading it off and on. However, we have a very good excuse for this one. Uh, Spencer did a murder-suicide, and so he will not be able to be on the show anymore. I mean, it's really tragic. It's, it, and, you know, it I, sucks. I, I it's funny that it was in a Wendy's, but... I mean, and he also doesn't consider how much work we have to put in to reanimate him. Like, seriously. Uh, we're, we're fine. I don't know. I feel like it takes, like, You know what's funny? Hours. What? As you can see on the news broadcast, he pulled out the gun, and the teen at the counter did say, Sir, this is Wendy's, before he killed him. And oh, that was yeah. funny. That was, like, a funny little callback to, to old, the old internet. I mean, is that even that old internet? I feel like that's like 2015. That was that's like 1995. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, but it was it was pretty funny because it's like, oh, you know, I I didn't think people said that in real life. I thought that was an internet joke. But no, he no the that 17 year old Spencer killed with a gun before turning it on himself. Uh, did say that it was very funny. Very sad. And very, then uh, you know. the Richmond police gave a statement after, and the, where the the chief of police did call it a, a quote unquote normal world. Uh, the world in which uh, such a heinous yeah, crime no, could happen. I, 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 yeah. I think. I think. Uh, I think he was what, being ironic. Part when he of said what that. triggered uh, the the mass shooting, the tragic incident, was that someone in Richmond uh, looked at Spencer and told him, uh, uh, "Gay guy says what?" and he said, "What?" Uh, oh, is that yeah. is was that the the call? I didn't actually. I think uh, that he didn't. It. I think he didn't that. inform us of his thought process, but. I assumed uh, he had gotten corn cobbed or maybe uh, maybe milkshake ducked, and that that sent him onto a you know murderous and self destructive rage. I mean, I could see that doing that. Yeah. Um... So today we're doing uh, an episode all about Dungeons and Dragons, not about the boring stuff like the history or the mechanics, but just about like the vibes of it. I mean, I would, I I don't really need to talk about the mechanics. I don't want to talk a little bit about the history specifically. You know, your preference for additions and stuff like that. Okay, it's pretty easy. Uh, five, and then backup is 3.5. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Isn't Pathfinder mostly modeled af- off of uh, 3.5? Pathfinder uh, first edition is mostly based off 3.5. Second edition is mostly based off of four, fourth edition. Uh, Interesting. Yeah. So three is going to be based off five, then. Maybe. I mean, there's also no, like... They might not make a third edition. They probably will. But, like, with, I think, uh, the amount of versatility that they brought to second edition Pathfinder, they could conceivably kind of like uh, Dungeons & Dragons doing is trying to do with uh, one D&D. They could probably make it last them for half a decade to a decade of, of just... Well, actually, how long is 2E been out? Because I feel like that was, like, fairly recent, like 2017 or something. Or no, maybe it was very, very recent. I don't know. See, yeah, this is going to be a fun episode because it's mostly going to be looking stuff up. So I'll, I'll be honest. Uh, this is mostly a tie episode, obviously. However, it's not 2019 like I have is when no history with D&D. I have probably done less than like 20 to 25 sessions of it. But, you know, I've I've played. Well, OK, I have not played D&D. I've, I'm pretty sure I have only played Pathfinder. But that's basically it's the same better. thing. Better. Yeah, we were talking before and like. It's also As, a lot cheaper. Yeah. I think that there is an ease of access to 5e that, like, makes it just, like, the go... And also just, like, 
we were saying earlier, the market domination of, uh, you know, D&D for decades now with, you know, the Wizard of the Coast Hasbro money, like you brought up. Um, I think that's made it like the obvious choice for a lot of people who are just like trying to play role-playing games pretty like straightforward, just no frills, like, hey, we have a couple friends who want to try this, let's do that. That makes it the easy choice to turn to. And 5e, they did do a pretty good job simpl simplifying stuff. Maybe not the best job, but they did a good job simplifying stuff for new players. How Pathfinder blows it out of the water. Pathfinder is in every conceivable way, maybe not every conceivable way, but in a lot of conceivable ways, more accessible, gives you more control over your character. Like you are, you're fine going with Pathfinder. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so I have only had experience as a player. Ty, do you ever DM, GM? What's your per preferred term? For I usually say DM because uh, I, I did come up on Dungeons and Dragons and that's the, the preferred the dungeon title for master, that. Gotcha. Exactly. Instead of the game master, the uh, the gay, uh, the gay men lover. There we go. But it, it's, yeah, I actually have a, a lot of experience DMing, GMing, however you want to say it. Just, I mean, one, it's very easy if you're the one who knows the game more than everyone else to get, you know, kind of cast as permanent DM. Um, but also I was, <laughs> if you want a an insight into how I'm doing this uh, bullshit right now and have been for, you know, four years. Uh, in college, I was the treasurer and uh, semi-permanent DM of my college's Dungeons & Dragons club. Now, when, when you say treasurer, does that also mean you have to, like, bring snacks? No, well... budget for that? I, yeah, I was in charge of budgeting for snacks events, and uh, if anyone tried to steal any of the money from the fellowship, I had to breathe fire all over them, and... Damn, that's like... Not necessarily a job, but like a real volunteer position. Yeah, for sure. Know? I I mean I cared a lot about the club. It was we it was like twice a week, plus we had a home game, just like the uh leadership of the club. And like yeah, no, we uh <laughs> we we put a lot of our time and energy, maybe too much, maybe we should have put more of it into schoolwork, but into into running that club and, and doing our own games. So for probably I'm going to say a solid like two years there, at least once a week, if not more, I was, I was DMing. Yeah. And then I also had in my, uh, not senior year, I guess like end of junior year to, uh, first semester senior year. Cause then I, I graduated, um, early, like a semester early from college, but for a little bit, there may be like a seven months. I was also on top of that DMing my own game, uh, for a couple of friends, which was uh, a whole lot. Ty, I, I have a question. Yeah. I am aware that at some point in your career, you have encountered cheaters at Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> have you ever encountered? Yeah, I know, I know that laugh. Uh, have you ever encountered someone who brought loaded dice to a fucking D and D? I haven't because, honestly, a lot of the people who I've played with who were who would be prone to do stuff like that, it was either online. Or they got very good at rolling where people couldn't see, both of which I think are easier to hide rolls or like, you know, yeah, no. cha like, like change uh, the appearance of what you got than getting actual bespoke dice to help you cheat. But uh, oh yeah, the laugh was that uh, I have a, a quaint an acquaintance who shall not be named in a game that I either recently played or am currently playing. 
um, just for plausible deniability, who 100% was uh, completely and utterly cheating on, and this is something that people do uh, for no reason, like for really, unless you're 15, I do not understand the thought process behind it, uh, coming in with a character whose stats are all either perfect or near perfect, and then being like, oh, no, I got really lucky on my rolls. It's like, that's a one in five billion chance. I know the statistics. Please, please do not try to blow smoke up everyone's ass. Just admit like, yeah, I wanted to have a strong character because stuff isn't going well in my life, you know? Uh, but I, but I have a friend. If they admitted to that, would you let them? What? If they admitted to that, would would you let them? I would get probably. Away with that? I would probably try to get them help outside of being good at killing orcs. But me, I mean, if that was the only thing that could do it, yeah, probably. I care about my friends. Hell, I'm. <laughs> I was or am letting a friend do that without them saying that. Because <laughs> oh. I because I, mean, I came to the I came to the conclusion that I'm 25 years old. I have better things to do than getting mad over the strangely high stat array of a, you know, cat ninja. Which, by the way, is also a cool part about Pathfinder. I mean, I guess there were a lot of classes in 3.5, but, like, if you're someone who grew up in, like, modern D&D, like, 4E, 5E, like, they got a lot of fucking classes, and there is a lot of customization you can do in those classes. Which, I guess, is, like, a a, a hallmark of of earlier editions of D&D. Especially 3 and 3.5. But... As someone who did not spend too, too much time with that system before doing Pathfinder, it fucking rocks. It is a culture shock in all the best ways if you care about, like, the fiddly mechanical stuff of making a character. So, like, you know, because, like, with the main one, it's like, oh, okay, they got Barbarian, they got Warlock, they got Sorcerer, they got Wizard, blah, 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 blah. But, like, this one, like, they got ninjas, and then within ninjas, you can do, like, seven different types of ninjas that, like, alter your stats and abilities and, like kind of in in like small but meaningful ways and it's like that rocks i i love and then, and then yeah and then you got the one asshole who shows up with the character sheet where it's like yeah i'm playing anti-paladin what of it anti-paladin can be fun i mean it can be but it feels like something where it's like oh you're just gonna like you're gonna you're gonna you, there's people who use their character as an excuse to be an asshole you're right yes yeah yes and i feel like that is like, I'm not saying you can't be an effective anti-paladin as, like, a good role player, but I am saying that is the class you pick if you want to start some shit. Yeah, but, I mean, there, you can do that with anything. You can do that with Rogue. You can do that with, like, if someone is determined to be an asshole, they will find a way to be an asshole regardless of the class. Some of them just make it a little bit easier. Like, how if someone playing a paladin could, I've heard stories about people playing paladins being complete assholes about, like... Forcing everyone to, you know, do exactly what their character wants to do and, like, uh, you know, steamrolling and and taking control of the narrative in a way that, like, excludes all the other players. Like, it really, people are, if that's what someone wants to do, they will find a way unless people are, like, unequivocally are like, don't fucking do this, man. Come on. This is, we get to do this once a month. Please be normal about it. How long do you like sessions to be, typically? Uh, I will say... Of actual playing, maybe, like, three to five hours of, like, game yeah, time. Yeah, I, was, th- I yeah. was thinking four as, like, the number. I'm also, like, uh, I, I cut my teeth in that club uh, because you never knew who was going to be there at a, on a specific day. Because, like, we, I mean, at our height, we probably had, like, 25 or 30 members outside of the leadership. Like, we had a lot of people coming through. Um and so what the uh, what you kind of had to train for when I would, you know, getting started uh, DMing 
was you had to be able to make a bespoke uh, adventure, you know, that could fit any number of characters, any number of like different play styles and like party constructions and get in and out within three hours, barring like special stuff where it's like, okay, you know that like you've talked to the people who are going to be in this and like it's going to go on for like a couple days or whatever. I think of it almost like a, almost like a training exercise where it's like, if you can get very good at like getting a chunk of uh, play done that like is narratively fulfilling and like, you know, you can get in and get out and like something has happened and the party has gained something like within three hours, you're golden. That's all you need. So like, yeah, for me, I'm, but I mean, if you're playing like a home game, if you if you don't have any expectations on it, you can go a little, and it's like, it's a long game. You can go a little bit longer. You can do five hours. You can do, you know, whatever. And then maybe a couple hours of like hanging out, eating pizza, like talking or working on your character. Like, yeah. Yeah, You definitely want to, you know, let people who filter in early and then hang out afterwards. Yeah. 100%. For me, the sweet spot is that three to five, though. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? I guess. Um, Like the same or? I I do get kind of antsy in my seat a little bit when when things get longer because it's like. I I enjoy role playing games, but it's it does it, yeah. it feels pressure and it, it can be you know despite just sitting in a chair role role playing uh, and and fucking rolling dice and it can be a lot of work. It can be exhausting. Yeah. And there, there's also uh, like outside of like train autistic people, it's like there is a limit to the amount of focus that you can pay to something for any period of time, no matter how fun it is. And like, How much LARPing have you done? <laughs> um, I guess that is, I'd take that as an answer of either none or a ton. And I'm, I'm no, curious. But, no, but the uh, the actual answer is, is nerdier. Um, I went to exactly one meeting of the LARP Society at college. Uh, I partially didn't do it for me. There were too many rules. Like, I don't, if I'm like moving around and hitting people with stuff, I don't then want to have to be like, oh, but I have to, you know, I can only take this many steps. You know, I can only do this and that. Like, I don't like that. Like, I'm fine with those rules when you're like at a table because you have time to think of them. Like, you don't have to do it in the moment. But the reason I did not really continue with that is because uh, there was a rivalry between the Dungeons and Dragons Club and the LARP Club because I guess that the people who founded the LARP Club had split off of an older Dungeons and Dragons Club, and so we we didn't like them very much. That makes sense. Yeah, which uh, is worse than if I had done a ton. And uh, do not judge me for this statement. Uh, it's funny that I, like I completely get it, but it is funny that you, as the theater kid, were like, "No, I'm good with just D Fuck this LARPing stuff." I just, I'm not good at like, or I guess at that moment, I was not very good at improvising. And also, I, yeah. I don't like physical activity. That's true. I'm well, an indoor and, kid. And also, you know, yeah, it's like rolling multiple bad rolls is like you, you don't want to, you don't want to be putting work in to do that and then go do your thing. You want to, you want to be able to just sit down and grab some fucking cheese. Well, puffs. I mean, you're not really rolling when you're larping. True, like there are true. rules you have to do, but it's not like it is physical activity. Yeah, it's not based off like right. yeah. But the, it is, there's so many fucking rules to keep in mind. And I'm like, I just want to hit, like... I want to hit you with my I just sword. I just want to hit you with a foam sword. I don't want to have to, like, memorize the incantations for throwing a ball at someone. Later, a couple of alumni of the uh, Dungeons & Dragons Club made what I think was far superior and also fucking loser central. Like, 
if this if anyone I know in real life listens to this, my life is over. But uh, they made a Nerf club where it's like we would rent out the gym or like we would find some piece of the campus that wasn't being used and just run around and shoot people with Nerf guns, which was a lot more fun. And also the rule is like, don't get hit with a Nerf gun, you know? Yeah. 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 Which is. I mean, that seems like a more like it's basically budget paint. A hundred percent. Yeah, it's like paintball, but you can do it on the campus because you don't, you know, get it messy. Was I think the uh, thought process behind it? All right. I'm assuming you asked. Oh, uh, did you have a thing you wanted? To oh no, I was just saying. Like, no, I was saying that because I have no idea what to transition into. I think. I think this is uh, less like a discussion, more like an interview where you ask me stuff and then I go on like a autistic reverie for ten minutes. That's not a bad format. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm liking how this is going. Uh, let's let's break down into more specifics. Do you have any uh, classes or races you generally levitate towards when or uh, move towards when you when making a character? Uh, Do you have anything and anything you you like in your comfort zone? Classes, I I mean, and I I try to branch out because like genuinely, I think it is not very fun to play the same thing over and over. Like I think it's it's cool to get those experiences. Uh. I will always gravitate to a paladin or a wizard. Hmm. And paladin, well, paladin, I think, is just the best of all I'm not all judging, worlds. I just... Yeah. I was expecting rogue, to be honest. I play... I do rogue from time to time, and, like, I think if I were, like... If I myself were in a world, that's what I would be doing, just because, like, I don't want to fucking get in the middle of this. But, uh, I like paladin a lot, because, like, it gives you a lot of options in the middle of combat, and, like, you don't have to be great at any one thing. Like, if you're, you know, if you're a paladin, you can be the hitting one, you can be the tank, you can be the healing one, you can, you know, cast, not too many, but, like, you can cast offensive spells if need be. Uh, and similar thing with the wizard, mine is, you know, the healing or the hitting. Like, it is just, like, I think the variety of, like, the, the, literally the variety of, like, spellcasting choices that you get as a wizard, it's like, oh, I can do whatever needs being done at this moment. You know, like, and I, and I appreciate that as someone who, like, I think would very easily get bored as uh, someone who's like, all right, I take three attack actions and then that's my turn, you know? Well, I was just about to ask you, and I'm assuming that that's right there sums up why you prefer wizard to, say, sorcerer. No, uh, I mean, the sorcerer can kind of do that too. I mean, it we're, literally the difference is just like you're trading out a couple spell slots and like a as big a list of spells for like more options to do with spells. Honestly, if that were like all that went into it, I would probably like sorcerer more because sorcerer does have a pretty diverse spell list and also like you can do meta magic and that can like change stuff. And I've played sorcerers that I like, but I think. What also brings me to wizard and paladin is that, like, they both imply character types that I think are interesting to play. Because with wizards, I think, like, you don't have to be, but, like, it makes a lot of sense to be, like, a very scholarly, like, someone who cares about the workings of magic. And I think that, like, that can get you thinking about, like, the way that magic fits into a campaign, even as a player, and then, like, that can deepen your connection with whatever campaign you're in, and, like, that can, you know, bring out character details and, like, uh, pieces of, like, plot that maybe you would not have had if you were playing, like, a sorcerer where you just have the magic instantly. And I think Paladin is a similar way where it's, like, playing a Paladin implies that you have some kind of, like, tenet, you have some kind of principles that you literally have to follow to make the character work. And I think that that 
because uh, I'm someone who like I like goofy stuff from time to time. I've just played enough D&D where it's like the novelty of it does not really get me anymore. Like I need to have an investment in character. I need to have like I need to be playing towards something and as something pretty specific just because I've you know spent fucking five years doing it uh, like three of the maybe what I started when I was like 18 so like yeah seven years playing this game and then like a solid three of them were like multiple times a week you know like you get to a point where you're like all right I've seen everything this game can do now I'm in it for very specific characters and concepts and I think that paladins and like clerics also I just don't like how a cleric like a cleric plays as much I think makes you really think like what are the core basic building blocks of this character that I can then build a rich, you know, play experience off of. Okay. Uh, now, speaking of classes, here's here's another question. When someone in the party decides, I am going to be a bard, how much singing do you make them do, like, in person? And how much of it do you let them yada yada through? I find that very, very annoying. So, because I, I think that and especially with 5e and, like, the kind of primacy of dexterity and charisma. And, I mean, you see this in other things, too, but, you know, 5e had its moment. 5e has the demographic that it has. I think that you find a lot of people who are, like, coming into role-playing games through a theater or improv background, which can be very good if you're, like, trained improvisers. Like, a lot of the people who are most fun to watch play it, like, in, you know, actual plays or whatever, are trained improvisers who, like are able to use those skills to make an engaging story and make it funny. But I think a lot of the people who got into it are 21, you know? A lot of the people who get into it are, like, Tumblr refugees who, like, uh, are maybe uh, maybe the type who... Maybe the type who, instead of, like, taking the game... Or maybe they take the game seriously, but, like, instead of, like, appreciating role-playing games as a... Uh, medium use it as like a term to be like well my character's name is mr spaghetti and he casts all his spells by singing hamilton songs and it's like i find that as, as someone who is both autistic and a killjoy and also just like cares about these games like i find that intensely fucking annoying and so like if someone wants to sing songs i can't stop them but i will never like force someone to do that huh. yeah i see this is and i i think potentially the most autistic episode of Autism Power Hour because the, I, I have zero way to talk about this game without going full, like, without going Look, full here, Sheldon here, from Big the Bang thing. Theory, you know? I feel like I've been the one at the I just need to keep talking train of thought for the last... So it's... I'm just... I'm kind of enjoying having an easy one of these where it's not just... You look at the timer and you're like, oh, God, am I saying things that make sense or am I interesting enough? Um, I, I think with earlier episodes, you could look at... At the very least, my contribution. Maybe not yours. I think it's a matter of debate. But you could look at my contribution and be like, yeah, sure, you're autistic. And then you listen to this one, it's like, yeah, I get it. I see your game now. I don't know. Yeah. I felt like that was uh, that was kind of there after the Homestuck episode. The Homestuck one was also a good example of that. Yes. Uh, although that one, um, I was like, I was also like emotional about it. This one, I'm full, like, like. Uh, it is I, just I a feel part like, of your life. Yeah, I feel like I am like. I feel like there has not been uh, emotion in my voice for the past half an hour. Yeah, no, I yeah. think that's fine. I'm assuming you follow the house rules of uh, nat 20 is an automatic success, nat 1 is an automatic fail. Um, uh, I think it depends on the situation. 
I, I will always do net one is not medic fail. I think that's fun. I think that is the most enjoyable way to play it. If only because like, if you're trying to have fun moments with your friends having like, well, or if not an automatic fail, a catastrophic fail, you know? Yeah. Like that, I will always play like a net one or like, you know, five or 10 under the gold EC as like your character fucked up in a way that is both very bad for them and hilarious. Cause I think that's just like, as a GM, you're looking for uh, instances to make your character, I mean, make your players, one, have to think on their feet, and two, have fun and laugh, because, like, that's, you're facilitating that as, a, as you know, the person running the game. And so I, I my rule of thumb is always, like, nat one means, like, you fuck this up the worst you could have fucked this up. And, like, I would, I'm giving you a more serious consequence than I would have, even if you had gotten, like, a two, you know? But I, I don't like the idea, and you know, same with Nat Twenty in the opposite way, where it's like if you succeed on a Nat Twenty, I am giving you're doing it in a spectacular way, and maybe getting more than you would have expected to get off of that roll, maybe even more than you would have off of like a nineteen. I don't like the idea of an automatic success, though, because I think that there are a lot of things that characters can do in the game that logically within both the mechanics and the world of the game and the story of the game do not make sense for them to be able to do. And I think giving a 5% chance to automatically break, you know, narrative and uh, world building tension, I I think is not very useful unless you are going like full silly on a game, you know? Yeah. Did you have a thing you wanted to talk about? No, I, uh, I think, I don't think we ever, uh, when, for the preferred class and race. I mean, one, I didn't say race, uh, Hispanic. You did say, and, you did say. <laughs> and two, I don't think that, well, I, no, I didn't, I said class, I didn't say uh, any, any race preferences. Yeah, you didn't um, say race. But uh, I don't think you gave your answer either. And I think that could be interesting. Like seeing uh, the different. Class? I feel like I rem- I levitate a little more towards, uh, I, I, I go a little more for rogue in general. I like, uh, again, Rogue has the advantage over Wizard. They're very similar of, like, it's kind of easier to just bullshit your way through. You don't have to, like, keep looking through your systems and checking stuff. Whereas Wizard, you you kind of... Wizard is a more... I'm not saying it's a hard class, but it's a more experienced player's class where, you're, you you know, you're constantly aware of your systems and stuff. Whereas Rogues, you can kind of just... I think I'll try and roll for that. I think I know what skill that applies to. Uh, so that is... Race is kind of the opposite. I kind of like, I like playing uh, male orcs a bit. I like playing orcs. Like, uh, like orcs who work for UPS or? Yes. Oh, okay. Um. You know what? I like playing an orc too. Yeah, orcs, I mean, I feel like, I don't know if you do this thing. I feel like when I play orc, I levitate a lot towards just kind of Klingon-esque where it's the very yeah, like warrior you know, culture less more Tolkien, than like but more dumb, yeah. noble warrior. I hundred yeah, percent yeah. agree. And actually, um, I was in a a very short lived. I think we only did like four sessions, uh, game with some friends of the show, Jane, uh, Jane, like Jane OST and Barb, and uh, and then uh, Nat was DMing it, and uh, the whole the whole idea was like we were orcs who were like trying to win back our ancest- our ancestral homeland and like it was full like the the entire idea was like yeah they're like this tribal like nomadic warrior culture 
like drawing very, very much from like, uh, you know, like Celts and Klingons more than like barbarian, you know, rape monsters that that you normally see them as by people who like don't think through some of the the racial implications of having a rape monster species in their game. Yeah. Like, and that was a very, very fun game. I, I had a great time playing that. I wish we had continued with it because like, I think maybe, maybe an un, if not unpopular, like an opinion that maybe is not super well shared is that I think any race can be basically anything you need it to be. Yeah. And I, th- I think yeah. that at the very least 5e is like leaning onto that more with like their lineage rules that they implemented a couple years ago where it's like orcs do not have to be, you know, the big strong bruiser type. Like it really depends on what angle you are looking at the race from and what the world of your game is looking like. Like here's a good example for me in every, every time I make like a, a campaign for D and I like goblins, not as like, you know, like creepy orc, like, you know, or like small orc, like, you know, monsters, whatever. I always make them and elves the uh, descendants of like uh, uh, interlopers or, you know, uh, visitors from the Seelie and Unseelie faith courts specifically, because I like the idea that like, oh, the reason that like they are kind of magic and at war with each other and elves and goblins not even famously at war with each other. That's dwarves and goblins. But I like the idea of like, oh, there was like a connection to an outer plane that these two races share. And then that creates like a connection between them that creates like certain expectations for them. You know, like that's why elves are haughty. That's why goblins are mischievous or whatever. But also like if you think of like, I, I heard of someone doing goblins is like uh, they see goblins through hobgoblins as also similar to like Klingons in that warrior race, but like goblins grow into hobgoblins and then bugbears throughout their entire like like that is their growth cycle is like a bugbear is just a really old goblin and then like they build cultures based on like, you know, like elder worship and stuff and that. It's like that's a perfectly valid way to do it too. And so I, I really think like I, I think for people who are listening to this who maybe do not play a lot of like role-playing games. I think that the best advice you will ever get about a role-playing game is that systems are there to give you mechanics and ideas. They are not there to limit what you do. Okay. Like, if, if obviously you are cognizant of why you are making changes where you want to make changes, but just because a book says something, unless it is a load-bearing piece of it, like you roll a d20 to attack, most things in a role-playing game are able to be modified. Uh, so that kind of segs into the... the Did you just say segs? Fucking Gaylord? Like segwaying. Yeah, Yeah. I know, I understood where- I understood the etymology of segs. (laughs) I just wanted to make sure that we didn't go past it, and, like, we we really dug into the fact that you were like, segway's too long a fucking word. (laughs) I got- who has time to say a whole two-syllable word? Not me, not Andy. I gotta go fuck like, witches later. In like a couple episodes. <laughs> I'm just gonna bring back sex and we'll see how that goes. Like, not next episode, but like a little bit later this month. But the first time you heard someone say the word sex, did you think that they were talking about segueing because you didn't know what it was and still don't? <laughs> were you like, that's a crazy way to say segue. That must be the coolest guy on earth. So anyway, to transition, 
into the, the next Are you question. sure it's not to Tran? <laughs> no, because that has a completely different meaning. <laughs> That's what... To move into the next thing. Uh, Ty! I think you mean move. I feel like a lot of times, and, uh, you know, th- this might be due to my limited experience, but, you know, when I from what I've played and the way people talk about role-playing, uh, there seem to be uh, two major camps yeah. of, of DMing. The, uh, the first and... camp, well, that, but also, like, the, I like doing big, heavy dungeon crawling, and the, I kind of like free-forming it and role-playing and wandering around the town solving a mystery kind of kind of camp. Do you get where I'm, I'm coming from with this? And I guess, which one do you ascribe to more? I think in very broad strokes, you are, like, I, I see where you're coming from with that. Like, get where you're coming from in terms of, like, you're basically asking, like, crunch versus role-playing. Like, yeah, like people yeah. who care about the mechanics a lot versus people who care about the, uh, like, story of the game. And, and of course, it's also worth, worth pointing out that uh, the people on the far end of role-playing uh, do not play D&D and hate D&D. They will play anything but. That. Yeah, that is a good point. There is a content, but I, I would also argue that the people on the far end of uh, that side are either people. I think you can split it into two camps, which are either people who care a lot about role playing games, and that's why they're so role play heavy. And that, yeah, those people do not play D anD D at all. And honestly, they it makes sense. They're kind of right too. The other side of that are people who love the role playing. Because they hate role-playing games and they almost exclusively play D D. Yes. And it's literally and those like, people have doomed themselves. And and they use D D as more a springboard for a fantasy improv than like an actual game with uh uh, uh like structures of play and concrete mechanics. Uh, but here's the thing. I, I do think like you are right in that there are two camps of like, yeah, there are people who like very crunchy, like these characters are interchangeable, like very like one-y style where it's like this character is a bundle of hit points and a couple abilities. And if they die, I roll up another one the next day. And it's literally just about getting the high score, getting as much gold and getting as high level as possible. And then the other side is, you know, the kind that we just discussed. We're like very much we're trying to tell a story and the way that we engage with role-playing games is mostly as a storytelling exercise. And if the mechanics support that, perfect. If not, we don't care, you know? Yeah. I don't think they are necessarily mutually exclusive. No, they're, uh, they are a Venn diagram. Yeah, and, and I, I think that, not to sound like I'm actually the best at role-playing, I do think I, if I'm playing a game like D&D, like Pathfinder, I do think I come... In the middle of the pussy, woo. <laughs> uh, no, but I, I think I, I think I land in the middle where it's like I'm playing these games because I care about the crunch, I care about the mechanics, I care about making a character who can do interesting stuff and play effectively. I don't want that to be the only thing I'm doing. I want to like tie that into a character whose concept I like, who you know I find interesting to have a voice in who makes interesting decisions that then they support with those mechanical skills. Like, for an example, I am currently in a Pathfinder campaign where I'm playing a goblin ranger rogue uh, multi-class, which you shouldn't multi-class in Pathfinder, but I'm like, I just had a cool idea for this character. And so I'm like, I'm going to do that. 
And the idea is like, oh, this is like a this you know this character she grew up in like the jungle with like very little outside interaction with people kind of like a you know Tarzan George the jungle type who is now just meeting civilization for the first time and like having to you know engage with that in that way and my, the ability score is you know like uh uh support that they reflect that in that like with this character because I pumped all of like my points all of my skills into getting this specific thing uh, I have at maximum a plus 20 to stealth at level one. You know, I cannot fail a stealth check in this game. The lowest stealth check I can roll is minus like the conditions that make it high, like make it, you know, even higher, a 19. And I, I think the group I'm playing with is like, you know, automatic fail on a one. So like, I guess I could fail that way. But like, functionally speaking, I do not fail stealth checks. And I think that is interesting as like a, you know, kind of single-minded hunter whose whole life has been spent specifically on like tracking prey and like engaging with stuff in the jungle is like, yeah, I, I have gotten so good at like hiding from prey. No one will ever find me. And then, you know, also like pretty high abilities and like, you know, uh, knowledge of nature and like survival and tracking and everything like that. I mean... You bring up that you will never fail stealth, but I think one of the most defining, my strongest memories playing Pathfinder was a session where we were trapped in the water, I think on a broken boat. We were being attacked by some kind of mutant shark because there was like weird magical chemical pollution during the session. And one of my party members was a fighter who was like a big lizard man. He had a plus 14 in swimming. He failed three to four rolls straight of swimming over to us to help us fight the shark. And that's And I lost funny. an arm because of that. Yeah, and that's hilarious. And, like, that can happen. I'm just saying that, like, I have built this character, and maybe it rolls bad. My friend who I was talking about who uh, built a, you know, cheating character, <laughs> in one of the battles that we fought with this character... Uh, ended up getting his head stuck in, like, the body of one of the bad guys because he rolled terribly for four rounds in a row. Like, literally, like, nat ones, fives, all that stuff. And, like, bad enough that, like, he could not be a functional character for half that fight. So, like, it's yeah. possible. And, like, but I think that mechanically you are building to avoid that. Like, you are yes. trying to play to your core competencies and then building a character in a way that, like, makes those mechanics make sense and lets you play yeah. to those specific mechanics. As a yeah, as a cohesive thing. And also when you fail a bunch too, that's a fun challenge as a player to be like, why did my character just fuck up that much? Like what's going on with my character that made them that bad? Yeah. It's also fun when again, as I bring up earlier, someone else fucks up and then you have to deal with the consequences of their fucking up. That's also a Yeah, lot and of that's fun. That's what makes D&D, I think, very fun, or D&D, &D, Pathfinder, whatever you're playing, very fun, is that, like, it is random, and, like, you are building a narrative, whether or not you are actually in, for, in it for the storytelling reasons, or if you were talking in, like, a strictly ludonarrative sense, like, just, like, oh, well, the things that happen in the game form a series of events, whether or not, like, you care about the meaning connecting them. I think that that is what makes role-playing games fun, and that's what makes them evocative to people, and that's why people keep coming back to them, is, like, it really is uncertain what will happen at any given moment, as much as you can, you know, tip the deck in your favor. And that's fun. That's, like, a cool tension to play in, but I think that, like, 
the storytelling side of it and the mechanical side of it both draw from that same tension. And I think that I, I think that looking at them as two separate sides of the coin is going to make you worse at playing role playing games. Absolutely, you got to keep your options open. Uh, 100%. Yeah. How do you feel about guns? Do you think do you allow like like some some good flintlock pistols and blunderbusts in in your fantasy sword and sorcery setting? It depends on the setting. Okay. Uh, there are some settings where like if someone tried to bring a gun in, I'm like, no, I have a very specific like you know magic medieval focus on this idea. You would have to really sell me on it. The game I'm playing right now, we were told like at the beginning in no uncertain terms like. Please do not play a gunslinger. I do not. I'm not comfortable with the idea of like bringing guns into this game. That's fine. That's whatever. I've also played games that like include characters with guns that have one of them was my favorite game I've ever played. And my character was pretty solely like a gunslinger. Guns were like the main weapon in that setting that we played in. And it was great. It was so fun. I built a character all about like literally just being as good at shooting as possible. Like, yeah, no. terrible, I, at, again, kind of like the stealth thing, terrible at everything else, but I introduced that character by uh, aiming three shots on either side and above, like, a character's head and, like, rolling each of them to, like, get pinpoint accuracy and, like, building a character like that who's like, yeah, I'm, I'm the gunslinger. I'm, like, I'm the one who, like, quick draw gets you at noon. Like, that's a great feeling in any game, even, like, especially ones that have, I guess, firearms rules, like, See, grafted on, like d I, I, I think I'm more nerdy about it, where my thing with guns is, like, yeah, you can have guns, but, like, you gotta spend, you get one shot per turn. Like, you get one shot maybe every other turn. Uh, unless if you're carrying multiple guns, which is always an option. You can always carry a couple pistols. Yeah, doing, like, that, like, the pirate gun, like, blunderbuss, pepperbox stuff, whatever, like, that makes sense. I also think that a lot of the, because, I mean, D&D doesn't naturally have guns. It has the Thunder Cannon for the uh, Artificer, which was, you know, a class that was added on, you know, three, four years into, at, at the very least, 5e specifically, is, like, uh, runtime. And I, I know that they did have, like, some guns in, I want to say 3.5 had, like, a gunslinger uh, option. but like, And maybe 4.5, I don't know, whatever. I, again, I've not played as much... Uh, earlier editions than 5e i kind of went straight from 5e to pathfinder but uh i think that like systems that include guns or systems that are you know built on the games to make them include guns i think the best of them are the ones that differentiate guns in a meaningful way from other ranged weapons i think it's very easy to like look at guns yes. like oh this yes. is just a stronger bow i think at the very least, like, ones that I've used in the past that, like, include a, a pretty in-depth misfire mechanic, I think is great. Because it's, like, that is the functional difference between a bow and a gun. It's, like, I don't have to reload a gun, or I don't have to, I don't have to, every shot I take with a gun is not, you know, oh, I have to put another one, I have to put another one in. Like, you can do multiple shots, but you never misfire with a bow. You'll just miss your shot. Like, you never fuck up your bow by shooting it, you know? And I think that, like... I am, I appreciate guns if that is, like, a factor in it, or if you are playing in a setting that, like, pretty specifically, like, there's no bows at all. There's no bows, there's no crossbows. Guns are the only ranged option you have. But I, I agree with you where it's, like, 
if you are not taking very specific steps to make guns fit into the system and the setting that you are working in, you kind of have to be anal about it. Okay. Uh, yeah. I'm, I, my, from the record, my answer th- to this is three. But when you... Three guns. A, no, not guns, but when you, like, when you start a new session with people or a new campaign, level one or level three. I, most times, I, w- I have started at level one. I very much prefer the starting at level three ethos. And yeah. I think if I had more people who were willing to go with me on that, that would be every time. It's just too swingy, those early levels. Yeah, no. Playing a D- level one D&D can just feel dog shit because you're supposed to feel like dog shit. <clears throat> and I think if you're playing with like a lot of new people or people who are maybe not super comfortable with either the system or role-playing games in general, like starting at level one makes the most sense because it's like, here, you have very basic options and then we build up to more options. If you are coming at it with people who like know what they're doing, I, it's it's such a, like, you are skipping over such a hassle to miss those early levels where it's like, if you get two wrong hits, you die, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, like, if you can avoid that and you can get into, like, the fun part of play, I support it every day of the week. Hell, I would even maybe even start a campaign at, like, I mean, depending on, like, what your goal for the campaign is, I'd start campaigns at level five. I'd even do, like, a... If you're like, yeah. I just want to do a short one where it's like we are playing with high level stuff that we maybe wouldn't have got to. I'd, I'd start at like a level 10 campaign. We have done like short campaigns where it's like we started at level 15, you know? Yeah, no, that that can like just just starting overpowered can definitely be fun. It's so fun, especially because like you don't have to go through the slog of like coming up or like building piece by piece a crazy build. Like if you have mechanically how this build works in your head and you start at, like, level 15, you're like, oh, it just works now. It just, functionally, yeah. it does what lot, I want it to do. You also get a lot more freedom with equipment and stuff. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, like, getting to bring in, like, you know, one or two yeah, pieces whatever of equipment. The fuck that, instead want, of instead having of, to, like, scrounge yeah. whatever. Like, I, I think one of my, one of the most fun characters I ever played was, um, again, this was 5e. I played a lot of 5e in my life. I've had other characters who were very fun, too, in concept. But, like, I think the most fun character i ever played was uh it was a we a level 15 campaign like we started at level 15 and it was uh 11 levels in dusk monk uh and four levels in assassin rogue or maybe yeah and that was it and then i took a, a cloak of like the spider or whatever and the whole point of this character is like oh this is the perfect assassin like just walking on ceilings like and again like super high stuff. I I don't play a lot of like rogues or stuff. When I do, I love like just busting out the stealth like to as insane degree as like as possible. Cause like I, I I don't know. I feel like I look at rogues as like more of a mechanical uh like like more of a intellectual pursuit than like like a paladin or like a wizard or whatever. Um, like if I'm playing a rogue, I'm like, I'm playing this rogue or ranger or barbarian or whatever, specifically because like, I'm trying to get a specific mechanical effect that is going to be made like, uh, a lot easier by starting with this, you know, as opposed to like, if I'm doing a paladin, it's like, I have this idea for a paladin or I have this idea for a wizard, but it was literally, the idea was like, my character could like sneak around in shadow 
And then uh, I get, I built on, like, I put on as many feats, as many different abilities as I could to make my first attack, like, as deadly as possible. Like, getting the most damage I could get in a first attack. I think I got it up to, like, it did an average of, like, 40 or 50 points nice. of damage. In like, nice. it, like if I if I rolled right, like maybe a little bit above median, I was doing like forty to fifty, you know, points. I could, you know, if I rolled like perfectly, I'd be doing like ninety to one hundred points in like one attack or like one round. And so the idea was like, oh, I'm making like the perfect assassin, where it's like you slip in, you get like the perfect shot, you get the perfect round. You whoever you're killing is like automatically done, and then you like sneak out of there. And so like. I feel like starting at that level where it's like, yeah, if I had to go like, oh, I have to do a level of monk, I have to do a level of rogue, I have to do a level of monk, I have to do a level of monk, I have to do a level of rogue, you know, and like building up there. That could be fun. And if the story is fun, that could be something. You're going to be up until the point that you get all the abilities you want, you're going to be severely underpowered compared, or I mean, you'll maybe have some utility, but like you are not going to be on the same level of usefulness as like, your other party members who are classing like pretty normally yeah. who are just trying to get like the highest level and like you know get the level by level perks of their class you're gonna so a lot of your campaign is gonna be like damn i wish i could be doing what this you know seventh level barbarian's doing instead of like what i'm doing as a three and four you yeah know? the only way multi-class uh kind of works as a class is if you play it as like i am doing a class a unique class that feels like it com combines elements from these two classes rather than i am playing two classes i mean there's like some classics where it's like they do kind of cover each other's like core yeah. competencies like like doing a what like a warlock with a dip and fighter like a you know a barbarian with a dip and bard like there are like classic ones where it's like Okay, these are not really bespoke classes. These are just, like, ones that work well together that you can, like, just get a couple more abilities from. But, like, yeah, if you're doing, like, a very specific one like that, like, you kind of have to look at it as, like, I am giving up what makes either of these classes the most useful in exchange for having this one ability or or mechanical benefit that is will let me do a very specific thing that no class no other like no singular class will be able to do by itself yeah that, that seems like a good way of designing characters and going around that i mean a lot of the time it's just easier to not do that i i think like multi-classing is to me it's such a fun idea it's such a fun idea but i think it is really only useful if you have if you know exactly what you're going for with it you know yeah yeah like, if you're doing it like, oh, it would be cool if, like, this guy had bard powers, but also, like, uh, cleric powers. It's like, you're just going to make a, I mean, maybe not a weak character, but you're going to make a character who is frustrating to you. Yeah. <laughs> like, you don't want, you yeah. don't want to be causing your other party members problems because of your roles. That's never a that, great feeling. Yeah, that, but also, like, you don't want to be, like, seeing your other party members do some shit and you're being, like, damn, I wish I could do that shit either. Instead, I can do, like, two things kind of okay. Like, that's not... A, that In play, that's not a good feeling. Is like, oh, I can't do what the other players are doing. Or, like, I can't operate on a level with the other players. Yeah, making their lives harder sucks, too. 
making your life harder in comparison to theirs is also not a fun way to play. Looking at the time, I think this is a good place to call it. You want to call it here? Yeah, I, I think this we did a good episode. This this was Let's uh, do. this was a fun. Let's. I got one more question. How about this? Okay. You have all your best friend, like all the best people you could ask for to do this. They're all into it. They are all their schedule. Your schedules are all open to make this work as a long term campaign. What, off the top of your head right now, what is the most fun campaign you can imagine? I think, I think something hat like in between kind of Hobbit mixed with Indiana Jones, where it's it's like we're going after that big treasure in the distance with a lot of like mini goals in the middle, and okay. also like a good bit of treasure hunting. Yeah, that'd be fun. Um, both like combining both like. Social play and exploration play and kind of play. I realized, uh, unless if you want to give your answer to that, I have one more question that it's very important for me to Oh, ask. no, go for it. Uh, I have not looked through the D&D Monster Manual mm. uh, from very much. Do you have any, any favorite monsters you want to shout out? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I like a hag. I like a good hag from time yeah. to time. Yeah, yeah. I think there is something, I mean, there's something fun about, like, just big monsters who can hit hard or whatever, but I think, and, like, don't get me wrong, I like a lot of those, you know, I, I like, I like a, just a big fucking, like, earth dragon or, like, you know, just something that, or, like, a Zorn or just, like, something that can just, like, fuck around with players and, like, knock the shit out of them. And also, like, depending on the game, I, like, make my own monsters. Also, I like taking, like, a couple aspects from different monsters, you know, rolling up some hit points and, like, making a whole new thing out of that. But I really do like a hag, and some of the most fun enemies I've played are enemies who have some abilities, some spells, but the big thing that they are good at is thinking. And I think those are, if you are a DM, sometimes you win the easy one, sometimes you just want to throw, like, Let's just throw a couple fucking T-Rexes against, you know, the party or whatever. Yeah. But I think the most fun you will ever have is, here is a char- here is a villain who is as smart as the party. Ooh, that's also fun. And yeah, who can, so, who and can... a, I, yeah, and I think a hag is great for that because they also have, like, they can change their voice. They can disguise self. Or, you know, they can maybe not disguise self, but they have, like, hideous visage or whatever. Where it's like, they can look like someone who's not them. You know, they can, like, do, they have sneak attacks. Like, it... I think playing a character like that where it's like, no, the players need to outthink me, the DM, to beat this character, I think can be so fun. What about you? You got any uh, big uh, ones off the top of your head, even without having read the... I don't really have a big example uh, off the... One thing I will say is, I love a good dragon, but you gotta you gotta build up and earn a dragon. You can't just plop down a dragon into your, your D&D campaign. You, you, want, you, want, you want to bait an easy dragon, you use a wyvern. Uh, yeah. You know what I think kind of on that line? Because I think Dragon is like a good in-between, a lot of them between like thinking and like big monster. Yes. But I think like on the other side from like Hag or Lich or whatever, I really do like a purple worm. Or just like, or like a, yeah. maybe not a Tarrasque, but just like a big fuck off monster where it's like, oh, this fight could easily take place on or in this creature. You know? Exactly. Exactly. Like, I think those are the two extremes where it's like either it's like a a villain who is scary because like it can outthink you and like it can, you know, sneak around you and it can like fuck you up in that way. 
And then on the complete other end is, oh, this is a character, this is a creature who's scary because it's just like the size of a town. And I think yes. both are very, very fun. That is definitely true. All right. Uh, I think that'll do it. Oh, can I, can I answer the campaign that I, I want to sure. play? Sure. I have had this idea for a long time um, that I have never really gotten to do too, too much with. And I, I actually built a like kind of supplemental a guide for it that is probably not great. I made it when I was like 20, 21. Um, but so I would you know, have to go back and look at it. But I always thought it'd be fun to do like a full like mafia crime like campaign where it's like the characters are like a small up and coming like gang and they are fighting against like two. They are like the entire thing takes place in a city. The entire campaign takes place in the city, and it is literally just like doing jobs for and against like two huge criminals. Yeah, yeah, you gotta, trying to take you gotta go Jimbo, yeah. fistful of dollars. That yeah, that yeah. seems like a, a great idea. I, the, the setting I made for that, it was like it was pretty like straightforward. It's like a lot of it's just like this is New York City, baby, you know. But it had one idea that I thought was so cool, and I really do want to use in the campaign. But I, I never really have like huge city environments where the idea was like it's this enormous city. And then in the middle of the city, it like it's old like slums downtown, whatever. All of the buildings had decades and decades and centuries and centuries ago, like all collapsed and like crumbled in on themselves. And so there is kind of like a concrete jungle, like a literal concrete jungle in the middle. Oh yeah, of, like a like a ruined mess built on top of each other. Yeah, that could be. Really yeah, fun. but in the middle of this larger metropolis. And, it, like, that's where, like, all the animal folks and, like, the orcs and the goblins and everything live is, like, in that – or not orcs, I guess, but, you know, like, goblins and, like – Yeah, yeah. Uh, animals, and, yeah. And weirdos, yeah. And – but just, like, having that, like, whole – like, like a little, like a little like, you know, last of us city in the middle of then a bigger metropolis I think is such a fun idea. And, like – No, yeah. I, I think that's – that, like, in the middle of a war zone, there's just – yeah, that's really good. Not even right. like a war zone, like in just in the middle. Yeah, or like a gang war, but you know what I mean. Like, I I just I really would love to play that someday, but I just you know don't have the yeah that, that's time or inclination. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, this has been Autism Power Hour. This was a fun yeah. one. Yeah. This was a very autistic one. Yep. I'll All right. see you uh, next time. You'll okay. I got fuck me. I guess. Well, and and uh, you're in. Oh, am I? Oh, okay. Let's see. All right.